like the uh, in like the eighteen hundreds. When when there was like in the early nineteen hundreds, when like they played at a peach basket, and there was like Dolph Shays was the MVP. Right. Yeah. Do you think we could have been on the court for those games? Yeah, let me look up how tall Dolph Shays was. Then I can start. Okay. This is important to start. Got to look up Dolph Shays' height, and then we'll start the podcast. We'll have to figure out when we could have been professional NBA players. What Dolph Shay is really six foot seven? He's a tall whenever, guy. Whenever, whenever Dolph Shay is played, because I've seen like old grainy footage of animate, those players were not good. All right, I think this could be one of those those uh, pre podcast conversations that I just leave in. I think it'd be good to have this have this gem in there. Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for February eighth, two thousand eighteen. Uh, six game slate. Hopefully, none of the games get rained out because we had that we had that happen tonight, where really out of nowhere, it was like fifteen games before lock. The Pacers Pelicans game. There was. Uh, report that they were dealing with a leak in the in the ceiling and there was some wetness on the court this happens like once a year in the nba and it always ends in a game cancellation the players never want to play the teams always are going to be cautious like imagine if the game would have started like anthony davis slips on the court or something and breaks his ankle it would it would have been just a ridiculous news story so once we had the reports that there was uh, leak in the in the roof and the water was coming down the court. I was pretty sure it was going to get canceled. Obviously, there was way after locks. So there was nothing we could do about it. It's really frustrating. It's really annoying. It's one of those things that happens though, and not the first time. And it won't be the last time. There's also been what was was the what was the Spurs game at in Mexico City where there was like a it was smoky in the arena. Yeah, Spurs Wolves in Mexico City. I actually was playing Fanduel then. It was the first year I'd ever played Fanduel. I remember I had a really good lineup with three players left, and it was like Duncan, Ginobili, and someone on Minnesota. I don't remember exactly, but it was Spurs Wolves, and there was a fire in the building, and they the the arena was too smoky that because the players couldn't see, they had, they had to cancel the game. That was very frustrating. This was, uh, I guess, pretty similar to that. So yeah, it's annoying. It sucks. Uh, you probably won't be able to get entry fees back or anything, but it's worthwhile to email support in a situation like this because every once in a while they'll give you like free contest tickets and just say like, Hey, we're sorry, but here's whatever. Here's five tickets to the $20 tournament for tomorrow or whatever. So it's worthwhile because the worst thing that happens is they just say, there's nothing we could do. The best case scenario is they give you some contest tickets. So I recommend doing that. Other than that, yeah, it just sucks. Uh, but so for the games for tomorrow, First game on the slate is the Hawks at the Magic. There's going to be a ton of injuries and a lot of value tomorrow, so I think we'll focus more on that. I'm, I don't think we need to look too deep into fringe-type plays right now just because there is likely to be a lot of value. From the Hawks' side, I think Dennis Schroeder's in play. 7,300, and the Magic are allowing more fantasy points to point guards of any team in the league. I believe it was the word last time I looked, so... If they aren't giving up the most, it's because they're giving up like the second or third most right now. So I think Schroeder is okay to play from the Hawks. I wouldn't really get into anybody else as uh, it looks like DeJounte Murray just had a fairly significant injury in the Spurs game. I have that on in the background. Uh, 
I think that's good for your lineups tonight, Matt. Yeah, I, I don't want to be happy about this injury, but I am hoping that they just take take some uh, cautious measures here and just hold him out. Yeah, Matt's going to have his best DFS basketball game of the year because because uh, the basketball game got rained out and another chalky player blew out his ACL in the second quarter. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to, uh, I'll clarify this because I think people will be upset to know that I actually did well or might do well despite recommending a lot of Pacers uh, and Pelicans players last night. I think I was overweight on every single player in the game, but they only were used in 13 of the 20 lineups I made, and then the other seven were game stacks of two of the other games. So I, I got I got lucky that I actually structured my lineups that way, where I have 13 dead lineups, but seven that are going to be good. I think that that uh, is better than I could have possibly hoped for with that rain out. And yeah, I, I don't have DeHante Murray either, so... Hopefully he's okay, but hopefully he doesn't play anymore tonight. And I guess we'll get back into the relevant slate now because uh, we've kind of droned on too much about pointless things already, especially if I include that Dolph Shays segment from before the podcast started. Yeah, I don't have to do that. <laughs> uh, so from the Magic side of the game, we have Nikola Vucevic and Jonathan Simmons are both listed as questionable. I think Simmons plays. I think this is just a not updated injury report because he was questionable with an ankle injury going into last game against the Cavs and he scored what he scored like 34 real life points or something in that game. If I remember correctly, I'm trying to bring it up. Uh, he ended up scoring. Yeah. 34 points, seven rebounds, two assists. So the ankle injury wasn't a problem last game. I'm assuming it, he'll play and won't be an issue this game. As for the Vucevic situation, I really don't have a feel for if he's going to play. And then if he plays, if he's going to have a minutes restriction or not, I would assume he does. But if he was to start without a minutes restriction at 7000 he's a really strong play. He was priced, I think I remember being priced over 10000 earlier in the season when Aaron Gordon was out. Obviously, Aaron Gordon's out right now. So Vucevic would just have a massive amount of usage in the offense. It's just a question of does he play and how much does he play. Yeah, I'm just pulling up the, uh, the pricing. It's just loading, so we can check that. I think 9400 was the peak for Vucevic. Obviously, that's a lot more than he is now. I think we'd have to see a restriction of 30 minutes or so, or no restriction. If they say 25, I think that's probably too low. I wouldn't use Vucevic with a 25-minute restriction. But if they say 30 minutes, I think that's good. And obviously, no restriction would be ideal. So Vucevic could be a really strong play. Uh, I'll mention one more guy from this game. Tyler Dorsey played 29 minutes last game with Marco Bellinelli held out. I don't think Bellinelli's actually been traded yet, but it's another one of those situations where they're holding a player out because he's imminently being traded or they're trying to negotiate a trade. And I think they a lot of teams just don't want their players to get hurt before they move them, like Greg Monroe and Tyreek Evans right now. Um, part of the reason Dorsey played so many minutes might have been the blowout, but I think there there is still some minutes upside because he did play well and he's only 3,500. So I think he could make for a good punt. I don't think it's much of a reach, but if a lot of this value that we're talking about opens up, I might not have him. If some of it doesn't open up, though, then I think Dorsey would be one of the better cheap plays. Uh, I probably will not roster Tyler Dorsey. <laughs> well, I think the injury value probably will open up. So this is more of a contingent contingency because uh, we may need to reach a little bit, but hopefully not. And the Spurs game is starting. DeJounte Murray staying in the game. Well, he stayed in the game to shoot the free throw, and then they just took a foul after he missed it, and he's limping around. I think he's probably going to be done. And Tyler Ulis got hurt. This is a, this is a pretty uh, crazy night that's happening. <laughs> Quite the slate. Uh, big so Josh Gray game coming. This is what I'm rooting Murray for Murray going now. right to the locker room. So I would assume that he probably will not come back in the game with the Spurs up by 
a lot of points. So uh, Knicks at Raptors, Knicks side of the game. I am really surprised that Tim Hardaway is playing today. When I saw him go down with the leg injury, I thought that was going to be a significant injury. I thought that he was going to be out for a very long time. Uh, obviously, Christoph Porzingis tore an ACL last game, so he's out for the season. And the Knicks are screwed for the foreseeable future. So Kyle O'Quinn, oh, and another one also, I forgot, Ennis Kanner has got, had to get stitches in his mouth, so he's out for tomorrow. So I'm assuming we're going to have Tim Hardaway on a minutes restriction. No Ennis Kanner, no Kristaps Porzingis. Kyle O'Quinn is going to play as many minutes as he could possibly handle. We would normally see him split minutes with Willie Hernan Gomez in this situation, but the Knicks traded away Hernan Gomez, and they cut Johnny O'Brien, who was the player that they got back in the trade along with the draft picks. So Kyle O'Quinn could be looking at over 30 minutes. At 4,400, he is just a ridiculously high upside play at that price. And then Michael Beasley at 6,300, he's probably going to score over 20 points per game the rest of the season, uh, real-life points. So I think he also makes for a really strong play. From the Raptors' side of the game, I just think there's too much blowout risk. I think they should handily beat the Knicks in this spot, and there's just going to be better guys to pay up for than Lowry and DeRozan. Well, Jonas Valanciunas isn't really impacted by blowout risk because he doesn't play in the second half anyway. Um, and in a really good matchup against the Knicks with no Canner and Porzingis, I think this could be a spot to use him because he's only playing 25 minutes anyway. And most of that is, well, all of it probably will come in the first three quarters. So if there's any Raptor starter to use, I think it's Valanciunas. And uh, as far as Beasley, because I, I certainly agree on Kyle O'Quinn, I think he could be the best value on the slate, at least to this point, uh, without all the injury updates. But as far as Beasley... I'd initially considered maybe fading him because he will be so high-owned, and it is a tough matchup in Toronto. But with the the other factors that you mentioned with Hernan Gomez being traded and O'Brien being cut, the Knicks don't have other players. Like, the Knicks could be down 30 points heading into the fourth quarter, and Beasley could still play the entirety of the fourth quarter. I don't think it's that unlikely. I think he'll just play big minutes no matter what. So even though there's a lot of blowout risk here, and we, we don't actually have a Vegas line yet, um, I, I'm not really concerned that Beasley doesn't play at the end of the game. I think he plays a lot of minutes and takes a lot of shots no matter what happens. Yeah, I think uh, I, I'm, I'm not on Valanciunas here. There's just going to be better play, better guys to play than Valanciunas at 5,700. Yeah, um, I think that that might be true. But do you think you'll have uh, 100% exposure to Beasley with the minutes security and the shot security? Or do you think it would not, make sense? Not 100%, to... except I, I think he's a very strong play. It's hard to gauge what the ownership's going to be right now just because I think that there's potential to be so many good plays on this league. Well, let's say that Beasley and O'Quinn, one of the two, isn't on the court in the fourth quarter. Who's play Who else is playing for the Knicks? Let's just cover who else might be in the game for the Knicks. Because if Hardaway doesn't play much in the second half, and let's say it's a blowout and Beasley maybe doesn't play the fourth, do they even have any other players? Could it just be a lot of guards and maybe Trey Burke plays a lot of the second half? So they would go with Neil Aquina, Trey Burke. Um, let's see. They just called up some D-League guys also. So it could be a lot of guys who just kind of split minutes. That... Like they just called up uh, Luke Cornett and Isaiah Hicks. Doug McDermott would probably get playing time. For what it's worth, all those guys are min price. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not, I wouldn't roster any of these guys. I'm just saying I think their garbage time lineup would be Hicks, Cornett, McDermott, Neil Aquina, and Trey Burke. 
Yeah, I think Beasley and O'Quinn would play a ton in garbage time before maybe being removed. I mean, sometimes you'll see teams play their younger starters or younger backups for some of garbage time before going to like the real scrubs on the end of the bench for the last three or four minutes. I think it could be one of those situations if the Raptors are up a lot. So I guess my, my, the the bottom line for me is I'm comfortable with Beasley. I don't think I'm going to be too, um, too dissuaded by the ownership. I think he's, he's safe enough that it's fine to roster him a lot anyway. All right. Next game is the Celtics at the Wizards. This game is also, I think, another pretty strong fade spot for me. We don't have the injuries here. Kyrie Irving has a minutes restriction, so that really will one that kills his value. But then it also hurts him just being active, hurts everybody on the Celtics, and there's still a little price stop from extra production when he was out. From the Wizards' side of the game, it's just a pretty tough matchup against the Celtics, who are number one in defensive efficiency by a pretty decent margin right now. So even if we are expecting some regression from the Celtics' defense, it still is not any point where I would consider them to be a, a positive matchup for anybody. Well, looking at the Vegas line, there's a lot of reason to like the Wizards in terms of the betting information. So the Wizards open as one-point underdogs. They're now two-point favorites, and the over-under has gone up from 205 to 206. And I think it is a lot of what you said. There's definitely some regression happening for the Celtics defense. They do have Kyrie Irving at point guard, and Kyrie Irving has not been a good defender throughout his career, yet he's graded out, um, at least by defense versus position stats. The Celtics have been really good against opposing point guards. I think some of that might even be a fluke, so... I do think it's fair that the Celtics defense would regress, but even if you do like the matchup a lot for the Wizards, they're they're very expensive. Like, I think you could use Bradley Beal. I think he'd be a safe-ish cash play or something like that. But given their prices and given the potential value on this slate, this this game is probably just a fade, even though it is it is a better spot for the Wizards than people realize. Uh, yeah, I just, I'm off it. Like, even if you're saying that they're going to regress, like, what would you expect the Celtics with the third best defense in the NBA? Maybe, like, sixth, worst case. Yeah, they're going to be a very good defense, even if they aren't the best defense. So, yeah, I'm not going to roster anybody from the Celtics-Wizards game. Uh, Next game here is the Charlotte Hornets at the Portland Trailblazers. From the Hornets side of the game, something you kind of talked to uh, the other night, Matt, that I think is going to be true, is now that Tyler Zeller is back, with the Hornets. Cody Zeller, right? There's uh, lots yeah, of Zellers Zeller. and lots now, of Plumleys. Now that Cody Zeller's <laughs> back, it probably means less minutes for Dwight Howard. He played, what was it, 30 minutes last game? It might not have even been 30. He might have played under that. It was, yeah, he played 28 minutes in a fairly competitive game against the Nuggets. Uh, they did lose by 17, but the starters were still in towards the end of the game. So it's just having those other guys, having uh, everybody healthy now. It just means that Dwight Howard doesn't have to play 38 minutes a game, so they're not going to. They also traded for Willie Hernan Gomez. It was a really weird trade for the Hornets because they gave up two second-round picks for Hernan Gomez, and I don't see a situation where Hernan Gomez plays at all. He was the third-string center on the Knicks, couldn't get playing time, so he has to be traded to a situation where he could play. And he went to the Hornets, where it's basically the exact same thing. He's still behind Dwight Howard and Cody Zeller on the depth chart. So that kind of makes me wonder if the Hornets might be looking to trade Dwight Howard before the before the deadline tomorrow. Oh, that's something else that we have to talk about also, is just a general uh, point of strategy on this slate. 
Yeah, do you want to finish talking about the Hornets game, or you want to cover yeah, it right it's now? Gonna, it's going to lead into what I'm what I'm saying. All right, let's let's get this out of it's, the way now and come back to the Hornets. So it's the trade deadline tomorrow, so we could see players get traded, and that could also open up value on the slate. So with the Hornets trading for Hernan Gomez and him wanting to get playing time, the only way that really makes sense to me is if they're looking to trade Dwight Howard tomorrow. And if you look at where the the Hornets are in the standings right now, they're well out of the playoff picture in the East. So I think it would make sense for them to try to trade Kemba Walker and Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard's trade value is never going to be higher than it is right now. He's played really well this year. So I think that that's something that could be interesting. If he gets traded, uh, Zeller would be a really strong value play. I'm just kind of speculating because I don't understand why else they would have traded for Hernan Gomez. From the Portland side of the game, let's see, what is the pricing? Got... Damian Lillard is at, this is really slow to load. 9,000 for Lillard, 6,800 for McCollum. I'm guessing those are the two guys you're looking for? Yeah. Uh, so, to me also, I just think there's going to be other really strong spots. We have the Warriors injuries and the Thunder injuries to talk about. So, all these guys on Portland are just kind of fringe plays for me with Nurkic being the one with the most upside because it's only a 5,600. Yeah, but I do think you're right that there just isn't going to be much reason to use anyone from this game and there's going to be other games that we're kind of just fading because there there probably will be a lot of value elsewhere so i don't know there is some sharp money that i'll mention on the blazers maybe there's some speculation here maybe that adds uh, a little bit of evidence to the speculation that the hornets might make a trade i'm looking well, at it they, now they, I, I know they've been shopping kemba walker for the last well month you know what I'll, uh, I have to take that back because the, the sharp action actually is on the Hornets. They've dropped from plus four to plus three and a half, despite basically all of the bets being on the Blazers' side. Um, we actually were talking earlier in the day about how the Hornets have been kind of unlucky this year. Obviously, that all goes out the window if they trade Dwight Howard, but maybe the Hornets well, I are— mean, I think I think the odds of them trading Kemba Walker are really high. Yeah, just before the game it might not. Well, I guess it would have to be before the game if it's before the yeah. deadline. Um, yeah, then— Obviously, any line movement that favors the Hornets would be just completely irrelevant. But as of now, it does seem like uh, sharp money is against the Blazers' scoring potential for this game. I think that we saw this last uh, last Hornets game uh, a couple days ago. Uh, I forget what the actual result of that game was. But I think it's because Cody Zeller's back and he helps uh, Charlotte's defense. So that it could just be for that reason. I think Zeller getting his minutes restriction lifted a little bit more just helps Charlotte play better because he is a good player, and that, that might be the only cause of the line movement. All right, now we get into the really significant injuries. Thunder at Lakers, Russell Westbrook, and Carmelo Anthony are questionable to play in this game. If both of them are out, Paul George, ridiculous amount of usage, really strong play to 8,800 in a plus matchup against the Lakers. Raymond Felton becomes a really strong value play at 3,400. Jeremy Grant becomes a strong value play at 4,800 because he would have to play more minutes. Uh, Patrick Patterson, he could be a decent value play at 3,800 because he might have to enter the starting lineup. If Westbrook does play and start, then I think that he is a good guy to pay up for. Maybe people will be off him because he's been questionable all day. But this is one of those really big injury situations. Like Raymond Felton just becomes like an auto play. But I, there's almost no way he fails in the starting lineup at 3,400. Like, what what, are, what would you put the odds on him hitting value in that spot? I think it would be like 95%. And even if he doesn't hit value, he'll at least be close to hitting value. I mean, what I'm trying to think what a dud for Raymond Felton would look like. It would, it have, would to, have to be. It, the most likely scenario would 
either be foul trouble or an injury. Or Westbrook plays and he was ruled out or something and then just miraculously ends up playing. I think that would have to be the case for Felton to not do well. But Felton still at 3,400 isn't the worst play on a regular night anyway. I mean, he usually is scoring, what, like 12 to 15 fantasy points even off the bench. Um, Yeah, I think he could easily go over 30 fantasy points at 3,400 if he's the starter. It's a good matchup against the Lakers. Um, I I, I can't really see him not being a safe play. He's going to be really high-owned if Westbrook is ruled out before Locke, and Paul George will be insanely high-owned if Westbrook and Melo are both ruled out before Locke. But I think Felton and George would just be so safe for that situation that you'd kind of still have to roster both of them. Um, Steven Adams also at 6,700. Do you think that it would make sense to play him and sort of game stack here? Or is it just, is it just kind of off the table to game stack if there's this much individual player value and you'd kind of just play a lot of lineups with the best value and forget about stacking yeah, I, for the slate? I, for tomorrow's slate, if a lot of these guys get ruled out, I think that instead of stacking games, you just stack as much value as you can into lineups. Cause the, the value in stacking games is you're just, it's a way to create upside. But you don't need to create that upside in players if there's that much value on cheap guys. Yeah, I think there would be enough individual value. I guess the only way I would... I guess I'm more inclined to game stack on slates that just have less individual player value or they're smaller slates. But it's more about the individual player value. It's kind of silly to ignore a huge amount of pricing value just to get player correlation especially in basketball where the players with huge pricing value usually do perform unless their games are rained out or something. Um, so yeah, that that's probably it for the Thunder side. Would you use Jeremy Grant? I missed if you mentioned him. If uh, Yeah, if, yeah, I did. Okay, so Jeremy Grant, good play. We agree. Yeah, I, I just zoned out for a second. Um, I'm just looking at the Lakers side. I feel like this probably would be a fade. And I also think if Westbrook doesn't play, the game will be much slower. So that kind of hurts the expected output of all of the Lakers players. Uh, yeah, that's probably true. Uh, let me see. Is there any Lakers players that you would consider using? I, I think for me, I would still probably use Randall. Yeah, I think I would. I think there might just be better plays. I mean, Randall and Beasley are about the same price at the same position. It's not like you can't use both of them, but... I don't know, maybe I'd be light on Randall. I think there's upside for Clarkson. If it's a game where Clarkson plays over 30 minutes at 5,700, then that could be a little bit of a reach. But he also, he's gotten cheap enough now that even if he's only playing in the low to mid-20s in minutes, he should still be okay and maybe hit value anyway. Um, So I'd say Clarkson, Randall, lean more towards Randall, and that's probably about it. I'm trying to bring up the pace of the Thunder, but whatever, it doesn't matter. I think it's safe to assume they play a little bit slower of a pace with Westbrook off the floor. Uh, final game on the slate, Dallas Mavericks of the Golden State Warriors. This is another one, really significant injury. We have Kevin Durant is questionable. If he is out, then Steph Curry just becomes the top guy on the slate to pay up for. Uh, I would use him... If Westbrook was playing and Curry was playing with Durant out, I might consider using Curry over Westbrook independent of price. But then obviously we do have the price to consider also. But per 36 minutes this year, Steph Curry is scoring 62 fantasy points with Kevin Durant off the floor, usage rating of 40%. It's His role is just massive. And we've seen it so many times this year too. When Durant's out, a lot of really big games for Steph Curry. 
Uh, the other big boost goes to Clay Thompson, 28.4% usage versus 234 for the season. So he scores uh, what equals out to be about three more DraftKings points per game. Not much impact on Draymond Green. His stats all kind of remain the same, low-usage player. So I wouldn't give a bump to Draymond Green with Steph Curry being out. From the Mavericks side of the game, we have Harrison Barnes is questionable to play. If he's out, then I think J.J. Barea becomes a pretty good play, 4,700. We saw Barea with Barnes out last game. He played... I know he had a good fantasy game. I'm just trying to figure out how many minutes he played because we were pretty high on him, and I remember he was in a lot of my good lineups that night. But my internet is just super slow tonight. We can wait. No do rush. You remember how many, do you remember how many minutes he played? Uh, which guy? Barnes or... No, no, Berea. Last game with Barnes. Berea. I don't remember, but my internet okay. is faster. He so played... I, there you okay, go. He only played 23 minutes, but he had a good game in 23 minutes. Uh, so maybe maybe less interest in Berea than I thought I was going to have. Well, I sort of want to cover what we would do if we don't have this Westbrook and Durant injury information before lock. But before getting to that... For me, it's not late slate, I think. <laughs> All right. Well, that could be the answer, too, because it, it would be a really challenging slate with that happening. Um, so with Durant maybe being out, if he's ruled out, it's a lot different than the situations where Curry is ruled out. So when Curry doesn't play, it's a big usage bump and big bump in production for Durant. When Durant doesn't play, it's the same for Curry. The difference between the two guys, though, is that when Curry plays, it's good for everybody. Uh, Durant's defense is arguably the best of any player in the NBA, and Curry is a much more up-tempo player, so it's a boost to everybody on the court for both teams to have Curry and no Durant, uh, and when it's Durant with no Curry, you'll see the over-unders for the games go way down. I think with Durant out, the over-under for the game could actually go up. So I'd be much more inclined to use Dallas players in this situation where it's Curry without Durant than vice versa. And if Harrison Barnes plays, Durant is probably the guy that would have been guarding him. So it's a big bump in the matchup for Barnes. I think at 6,400, he'd be a good play. Um, but I just feel more confident about Dallas overall with Kevin Durant out. So assuming we know that, maybe I wouldn't want to use a bunch of J.J. Barea because of his minutes problems, but... Dwight Powell's still kind of cheap at 4,500. I think he'd be okay. Maybe Yogi Ferrell at 4,400. Wes Matthews has gotten kind of pricey though, um, so it's going to be a little bit hard to use Mavericks guys. But I think this could, could I think this could make for a pretty intriguing stack spot because Durant has a massive impact on the Warriors' ability to win, and without him, it might actually be tough for the Warriors to win by too many points against the Mavericks, even though it is a home game for Golden State and Dallas is just very bad. Uh, we don't have a Vegas line right now. But I'll just guess that if Durant doesn't play, the spread for this game is around 10 or maybe even single digits. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, if you really want to be risky in GPPs, then I think playing like somebody, I would be more inclined to play Westbrook if he's questionable heading into lock than Durant. Yeah, if, if, if we're talking about that scenario, then yeah, I think so. Because um, there's less upside for Durant than there and, is for and Westbrook. there would just be so much blowout risk if he's playing. Right. I think there also, though, could be the upside of stacking the Warriors-Mavericks game without Durant and just hoping he's out. Because it's not like those players are going to kill you if he plays. I mean, Curry could still have a good game with Durant on the court, and so could Clay Thompson, and so could Draymond Green. It would just be a much better spot for all of them if Durant's out. So I think that stack would be low-owned anyway. I don't think there will be a lot of exposure to the Mavericks side, because Harrison Barnes is also questionable, and then there's sort of just some no-name players on the Mavericks that people don't know a lot about, like 
I guess I, 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 still wouldn't I, want, I still wouldn't want to stack it, though, because we run into the same issue we had before. There's just going to be so much other good value. Yeah, I think I would only do it if Durant is confirmed out then, I guess. I, I don't know if it's worth taking the chance if, if Durant is a game-time decision or just still questionable or something like that. But I think if we go into lock with Durant ruled out and Westbrook is still questionable, where we don't know that situation, but we do know the Durant situation— I think that would be the case where I'd be most inclined to stack the Warriors because we wouldn't know that OKC value, and then we might have to reach a little bit, but I don't think it would be to the point where it would make the slate unplayable. So as long as we know Durant's out, and if we don't know that Westbrook's out, then I think that would be where I stack the Warriors game. Okay, so I don't have anything else to add for this slate. Pay attention to the injury news tomorrow. That is going to be massively important. Pay attention to the trade deadline. Hopefully it's a fun one because last year literally nothing happened at the trade deadline. Uh, I'm going to be doing a live show with Josh Lloyd on the Red Rock podcast, so we'll put that up on Twitter. Uh, that'll be fun. We did that last year and sat around and talked about trades that never happened. So maybe there'll be something to talk about this year. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at GRMDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at Preaching Sense, and we'll be back for tomorrow's sleep.